Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 18. You know, I, I'm reading books all the time, and, and I'm reading research online. And so I, I can tell you what the, what the trends are and what some of the things are that are showing up all over the place. And, and the one thing that I think is pretty solid is that the most important thing teachers can do is work on their relationships with their students. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Welcome, one and all, to uh, the podcast that is bridging the gap between education research and classroom practice or Zoom classroom practice, or whatever your practice looks like these days, uh, man, hopefully you are staying uh, safe and healthy, and um, you are stocked up on hand sanitizer and disinfectant wipes and anything else that's going to get you through uh, this COVID-19 pandemic. Our episode today covers the gamut of uh, education topics because our guest today covers the gamut of education topics with his blog. I sit down with Dr. Doug Green, he is a uh, former educator, former administrator, and is now an education researcher and blogger. And we cover um, just a wide range of topics, uh, including one that uh, many of us would consider maybe quite taboo. Um, but I'll let you determine that uh, as you listen, if you fall into that category or not. Um, I know that he will, he'll say it and I'll say it, that um, it definitely can be a taboo subject. But uh, you will have to find out. Um, as I mentioned, Dr. Doug has a blog where he posts daily about um, really all things that he's come across while he's uh, scouring the internet for materials that will uh, just help teachers and um, the overall school uh, world. Um, he also has uh, essentially his own Cliff Notes versions of a number of different books that are just uh, beneficial for teachers to read. So, uh, that's a great place to check out if you are looking for a book that you might be interested in reading. Um, and finally, he has his own book out available on Amazon. So if you enjoyed this conversation today, uh, that book is just more of the same. Um, and we dive into uh, his book a little bit on this episode. As always, our show notes are available for this episode. You can check those out by going to jabadoo.com show 18. Um, and I actually now have uh, all the books or uh, other items that are talked about in this episode or other episodes uh, in the future. Um, I now have uh, on those show notes pages uh, an Amazon affiliate link that is listed. So if you hear something and you're like, yeah, I could use that um, and you want to support me and this podcast, uh, I would be honored if you went to the show notes page and you use the affiliate link to go uh, purchase that Um because I will receive a small kickback uh, for the referral. So um, I definitely appreciate you using those links. Uh, we also have a Facebook group. Love for you to join us. Facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo. And we have an email newsletter that you can sign up for. Um, basically just reminding you about uh, upcoming episodes or future episodes and uh, any other material that we might be releasing. Uh, you can sign up for that right there on our homepage, Jabadoo.com. All right, that's it. Let's get into our interview with Dr. Doug Green. Okay, my guest today served for more than 30 years in the education world, from starting out as a chemistry, physics, and computer science teacher to becoming an administrator at the secondary, central office, and elementary level. Now retired, he is still dedicated to providing 
bite-sized professional development through his daily blog, and he has now authored a book titled Teaching Isn't Rockin' Science, It's Way More Complex, <laughs> which I love that title. Dr. Doug Green, thank you so much for joining us today on the Jabadoo Education Podcast. How are you? Hi, right, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and this, is, this, was, uh, this was not a long time coming. We connected, what, maybe four or five days ago on Twitter? Right. And just, yeah, turned around and said, yeah, let's, let's get this done. <laughs> well, that, that's the great thing about technology nowadays, you know. I mean, I, my, my, my book is, you know, it's print. You, you order one, they print it. <laughs> yeah, print ready, yeah. You don't have a stack of them sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you don't have to worry about any of the uh, overhead or anything like that. It's, it's all taken care of, so. Yeah, very cool. So, um, yeah, like I said, thank you for taking the time to join us today. And uh, I always start from the beginning. I feel it's the best place to start in any story. So <laughs> uh, why don't you just let us know, um, you know, what was your schooling ex experience coming through elementary, middle, and high school, and uh, maybe some teachers that stuck out to you that you remember? Yeah, I grew up in Atlanta, New York, which is a small, you know, town uh, in upstate New York, and uh, not, not, not very diverse. And my, my education was okay, but uh, I was absent when they gave the tests for placement in, in seventh grade, and I, I got placed in one of the lowest classes. So all my friends were like, you know, small town hoods, but they liked me because I was a bit of a wise guy. And that also meant that I missed the calculus train, you know, which leaves mm -hmm. in eighth grade. If you don't take algebra in eighth grade, for you know, you're not going to get calculus as a senior. Gotcha. Yeah. But I, I was good at chemistry, and I went to a small college upstate New York called Clarkson, majored in chemistry. And then my senior year, you know, I heard about this program at Colgate University, also in upstate New York, that was designed for people that had no education experience in college as undergrads. And I, so I took that program, and you know, within a year, I had my master's in teaching and permanent certification. And then I got drafted. This is the Vietnam era back in mm. 1969. And I joined a medical reserve unit and was a weekend warrior, worked in hospitals for six years off and on, you know, did, did nursing lab work. I assisted on autopsies, you know, just, it was an amazing education. You know, was, I think maybe getting drafted was one of the luckiest things that ever happened mm. to me. Uh, and then after teaching five years, uh, I became a K-12 science chair. I published a lab manual, so that that helped. And I, I said to the superintendent, I say, how come we don't have a computer? This is 1976. And so we bought, we bought our first, this was first computer, $5,000. We got a mic, microcomputer from Wang, and it had 8K of RAM, uh, you know, a, a oh screen about like yay big, and a set <laughs> tape for storing your programs. Yeah. And I started teaching computer programming in basic. I had 31 kids in one computer which required a little bit of scheduling. <laughs> and, uh, and then after three years of being the district's like science slash computer director, I got a call from Binghamton, New York, a bigger district in, in upstate New York. They were looking for their first director of computer services in 1982. Mm -hmm. And they hired a headhunter who found me. And uh, so I, I took that job on. It was like a K-12 computer director you know, and at the time, there were a handful of Apple II computers in the district. Sure, I was sure. also in charge of the administrative system, which was like two refrigerators and a washing machine. <laughs> the washing machine was the hard drive that held 96 megabytes. Oh, my goodness. How can we ever fill that up? <laughs> I bought the district's first one gigabyte drive in 1986 for $10,000. <laughs> how can we ever fill that up, you know? And uh, then Technology what, what is happens? Amazing. Central office is 
you know, supposedly heaven on earth for educators. But what was happening is every year they were giving me more stuff to do. They gave me half of the, the academic departments on top of everything else. So I said, yeah, I'm getting tired of doing everyone's work for them and not having any fun. So uh, one of the things we did as central office administrators was substitute as principals, you know, when the principals were sick. Oh, okay. and, and I substituted in this building uh, that was a refugee center. Hmm. Uh, 25% of the kids were refugees, not immigrants, refugees. Right. Very different. Hot spots. Basically places where there was religious persecution. Uh, like former Soviet Union and Cuba in places where there were wars, like, you know, Kosovo, Haiti, Central Africa, places like that. And uh, it, it was like, mission, and 90% of the kids were uh, on free lunch, right? It was yeah. like missionary work without going to the Philippines. Yeah. And the, te- the teachers could have transferred to other buildings in the district, but the ones that stayed really, you know, enjoyed working with high needs kids. And the refugees were the, the, best, the best students in terms of behavior and, and, and work ethic. I never yeah. had any problems with them. I mean, it's the kids that came from a refugees from a place called New York city that had the hardest <laughs> time of it. They became my best friends, you know, but <sighs> teachers didn't always appreciate that, but you know, I was, I spent time with them. So I was forming relationships. Yeah. And the other thing I did is I also, I was able to hire a lot of black support staff and, and Hispanics. So I was able to make the staff more diverse, like the, the student body was. Uh, and so I did that for 13 years. And I also, I was, I was working for a, a magazine called InfoWorld. My wife and I were doing hardware and software reviews. They'd send us this new stuff, new computers, new software. We'd review it and get to keep it. And huh. they, all, they only sent us the stuff that the, the in-house staff thought was too complicated. And it turned <laughs> out we got to do the first, first versions of Photoshop and Illustrator huh. and Premiere, uh, 3D modeling and rendering. Uh, anything that was tricky, they sent our way. So I... I really was, and we had the first version of every Mac that came out, the first color Mac. Uh, and, but in 1993, I took the elementary principal job. And there we were like putting in the first uh, building wide network. This was 1993. Right. And we, we had like a, you know, com- network computers in every room. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I created, our school's first website in 1996. Okay. And, <laughs> You're probably ahead of the game then. <laughs> yeah. And that's the year I also got my, my first cell phone, which was great. <laughs> Instead of like interrupting the school day to call for the principal, they just call my phone. And a lot of my, a lot of my parents didn't have phones. So I, when I made phone home visits, I'd have my phone there say, Hey, uh, your kid's teacher wants to talk to you and their mouth would drop. <laughs> or if the kid's acting up, Hey, uh, yeah. Hey, your mom wants to talk to you. <laughs> and it wasn't long before I got a little, uh, one of these little PDA things. PDAs. Yes. <laughs> Palm pilots. It had a, a camera in it. Right. Oh my. <laughs> Kids acting up snap. And now would you like me to delete this or share it with your mother? You know, like, <laughs> and then the videos came along it was even better. You know, God. <laughs> all the tricks of the trade of uh, yeah. what you learned yeah. on the job. Yeah. It's too then funny. In, in 2006, my wife was diagnosed with ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. And so I, you know, a, a hard decision became an easy one. I took my pension and took care of her for three years. And my army, my army experience helped that because I had the nursing chops. My administrative experience is also vital too, to, to wade through the system. Yeah. She, she passed in 2009. And that's when I said, okay, now what are you going to do? And that's when I started my blog. There you uh, go. 
you know, I, I, I've done some substitute principal work. I've done some consulting. Uh, recently, I've been the independent observer uh, for, for a district nearby. The, the, the geniuses in charge of education, are, they don't trust the principals. They think they're buddy-buddy with the teachers, right? And that they're just <laughs> going to give them good marks on their evaluations because they're friends. So they're, they're required in New York. Every teacher must have an observation from an administrator who's not in their building. Interesting. Right. So what some districts do that have a lot of administrative bloat at central office will just tell those folks to get off their fannies and get out to the school <laughs> to do that stuff. But this district I work for, they don't even have an assistant superintendent. Right? Gotcha. They are lean and mean. So they hire me. And I, I observe every teacher from kindergarten to AP physics. No kidding. Which I can do based right. on, you know, the, the brief history I just gave you of where I've been along the ways. And that's, that's a ball. I mean, I just, and I, I haven't found a bad teacher yet because bad teachers self-select themselves out of the business. If you're bad mm. at teaching, your day is going to suck every day. Yeah. It's no fun. Kids are going to act up. And who, you want to be in front of a classroom that's acting all day, every day? No, they quit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard enough keeping the good ones. But it the is. ones who aren't you know, cut out for the job, you know, they, they'll, they'll leave before you have to worry about firing them. I mean, I, I, I think in my, I've been an administrator for 30 years. I think there, there were two teachers that I had to say, you know, I don't think this is your, you know, your, your calling. You know, I, I used to, I, we don't fire them. We just engage in career counseling. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, you yeah, know, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but let's see how we, what can we do to help you, you know, yeah. figure out where, where you're going next. Yeah. Yeah, there are, uh, I've experienced a, just a handful of teachers who are coming to the end of their careers and, you know, sometimes it's, they need a little nudge maybe to, to, towards retirement because, <laughs> you know, for one reason or another, but wow, what a, I mean, what a great uh, overall picture and, and you mentioned your blog and we'll definitely circle back around to that, but just as, um, so when you were a teacher, I guess, uh, you, you taught originally uh, high school physics, high school chemistry, and then you said uh, also computer Program, uh, right. computer programming and science. So um, what was maybe one of your fondest memories as a teacher um, that kind of sticks in your mind as something like this is, this is why, cause I, let me, let me, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Cause we were talking before I hit record that uh, you graduated from college with a degree in chemistry. And uh, like you said, you went over and you did your, your teaching certif certificate after college. So teaching wasn't always like, you know, that wasn't your goal from kindergarten, <laughs> right? It was, oh. it was later on in life. So, um, you, you mentioned that you you really enjoyed your high school, uh, chemistry teacher. So, okay. uh, let me, let me make this two part then. So what was it about your high school chemistry teacher that, um, made you want to one, go into chemistry in college and then to become a teacher? Let's start with that. He was animated and funny and well, and I was good at it. I, I took chemistry as a junior in high school and, and I was in a class with mostly seniors and I was outperforming them right and left. Just, I don't know what it was. It's just, I, I was very interested in it. That helps, you know, you, you're going to yeah. learn a lot more if, if you're really interested. And it just came to me, you know, and uh, if, if you're, if you're good at what your teacher's teaching, you're, you're going to be predisposed to kind of like the teacher. That's you know? true. Yeah, I guess so. And how much <laughs> of that is uh, facilitated by the teacher versus your own interest, you think? Well, I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, if you're a self-directed learner, you don't need teachers. But uh, there, there were some situations where I was really interested in the subject, and the, and the teacher was maybe, you know, 
not not great, but uh, you know, some of them they got personalities. I mean, I, I think the the best teacher I ever had was a, a guy at Colgate. I got to take an astronomy class, and he was a cross between Johnny Carson and Mister Wizard. <laughs> and he also was the guy who created the field of archaeoastronomy. Archaeoastronomy. Yeah, that's where you know you take transits out and shoot stars and old buildings to figure out why the buildings are lined up you know like where interesting they were. It, yeah they, they'd go down into peru and mexico and, and oh yeah littered with there. architecture down there very yeah fascinating stuff but yeah i mean i think that's an it's a not necessarily an age-old question but definitely like how much of a student's success in a subject is is self-motivated from the student versus having a really good teacher. And, and obviously there's, it's, it's a combination of both for sure. Yeah. Um, well, the big thing, and the, you know, since, you know, I, I'm reading books all the time and, and I'm reading research online. And so I, I can tell you what, the, what the trends are and what some of the things are that are showing up all over the place. And, and the one thing that I think is pretty solid is that the most important thing teachers can do is work on their relationships with their students. And if you get a relationship going, then, you know, you, you, that, that's where it starts. But yeah. if you come on like some authoritarian, you're, you're not likely to get the kid juiced up. Yeah. Especially the kids that need to, to motivate. I mean, motivation doesn't come in a bottle. You know, I, all teachers wish it did. Yeah, that would, that would be very nice. You just say, hey, drink this in the morning and then we'll have a great yeah. school day. <laughs> But if you get to know the kid, I mean, uh, I remember for rookie year as a teacher, I go to school, okay, first, first they hand out the schedule and I look at it and right in the middle of it, it says lunch duty. And wait a minute, I went to college for five years. To do lunch. <laughs> well, I guess I did. And so I, I said, if you're lucky son, enough, you get two or three lunch duties a day. <laughs> well, well, if you do it well, you get it all the time. Uh, and, and so I said, all right, I'm, this is going to suck unless you can choose your attitude, right? My wife taught me that. It, this is going to suck unless I get good at it. And how did mm. I get good at it? Well, you know, you're there in the cafeteria and you can, you can tell the players, you know, you, you know. Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, you go over, <laughs> hi, how you doing? You get to know them. Uh, you know, back then, I, you talk about music with the kids who had long hair. Talk about sports <laughs> with kids short hair, you know? And... <laughs> You get to know what they're interested in, and you you know you got a relationship going. Go to their okay. games, you know if they play sports. Go you know go go to whatever activities you can go to after school just to let them know you're yeah. there. Uh, as a principal, I I made home visits all the time. Uh, it, you know it's funny. In some cases, you only have to make one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what happens after you leave? The other people in the neighborhood say. What the principal doing at your house? <laughs> What's up with that? I, I used to ride school buses, uh, and you know, get to know kids on school buses, and and I stop, get off the bus, and and there'd be some parents there, and they say, "Anything wrong, Doctor Green?" I said, "No, nothing's wrong. I'm on the bus." <laughs> I one, one day I had a, a, a administrative intern, so I said, "Okay, good." You do bus duty. And I'm, I'm standing there while he's doing his thing. And he gets off one bus. He says, uh, Dr. Green, this kid, I can't, I can't control him. Said, okay, no, no problem. I walk into the bus. I said, oh, hey, Thomas. Yeah, you know, we really got to, did I get into his face? No. 
I said, you know, we really got to get this bus out of here. You know, these kids got to get home. Any, any way you can see where to see where clear to, you know, have a seat. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. You know, no harm, no foul. We're, we're cool. And I got off the bus and he says, how the hell did you do that? <laughs> I said, Corey, I, I have a relationship with Thomas. Right. That right. is so important. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you're hearing it a lot more and more. I think that, you know, the, if you start off the year with building those relationships you, at by the end of the school year, you've gone further because those relationships then turn into, you know, all this uh, behavior management and motivation and all that stuff. So, um, and it was, uh, we had uh, David Kirkland out of NYU uh, on the podcast earlier, and he mentioned uh, that there's new research that came out that basically said, if you start the year just focusing on those relationships, not even, not just between teacher and student, but from student to student, yeah, there's so much benefit that the, the classes that did that at the beginning of the year were able to get further academically by the end of the year. Yeah. You know, like I, I was just posting something for them. I think the next day is that uh, some districts are smart enough now that when the school's getting back up, they tell them start focusing on the social emotional stuff. Yeah. Don't get all hung up on the fact that we're so many months behind on reading and math. Yeah. Because, I mean, we get to take care of that social emotional stuff so that the kids are, can kind of, you know, breathe and, you know, slowly get back into the, yeah. into the learning beat. Ties, ties back to the, um, the uh, hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And as a principal, you know, you're going to have your, you know, work on your relationships with the kids who are the most needy, you know, the ones that get sent to your office. And, but you, you, you got to be careful, you know, you, you got to form a friendly relationship with them. But if you're too nice to them, right. that ain't going to work because they're going to want right. to go to your office instead of be in their classroom. And so right. there, what, yeah, I just let them sit in my office and leave and wait until they were bored. <laughs> now, where would you rather be in here where there's not much going on or in your classroom? Your classroom. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you wait here. I'll go ask the teacher if she'll have you back. And I walked on. All right. What do you think? Yeah. All right. Give me a chance. So take the kid back to the room. And I say, you know, so, so and so here says he thinks he knows what to do and he can behave himself. And then I look at him and say, and, and you are a man of your word, right? Mm. Okay, good. And they if that didn't off, work, yeah. the kid had some sort of major emotional issue and I probably had to call mom and send him home. Yeah. I didn't suspend him though. I, you know, I, that doesn't help anybody. I, I just like sort of like a non-suspension suspension. Hey, right. mom, yeah. you work with us here and we, we'll keep this off the books. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Another another trick of the trade that that came with uh, experience, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, in a school year, I'd have less than a half handful of real suspensions. Other schools in town had other elementary schools in town had over fifty. Well, this is this has been great so far. Um, let me circle back around now to um, you went back and you got your uh, EDD, your Doctoral of Education. Right. Um, uh, kind of while you were while you were an, an administrator, right? Yeah, I was a principal. Yeah. I, I started in 1992. Binghamton University started their EDD program. And the difference between an EDD and a PhD is that the EDD tends to be a little more practical. Right. And there, there's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is there a dissertation that goes with the oh, EDD? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Just, it's just as rigorous. You know, there's, there's, there's no difference in terms of how hard these things are to do it. it universities that are rigorous about it uh and my dissertation is over 400 pages long uh, 
and, and it was on uh, using the internet in, in uh, fifth grade classrooms, you know. There you go. Which... So we got, we got the internet, we got classroom, so what? You know, what's happening? <laughs> Yeah, and certainly now as as we uh, battle teaching in the COVID world, um, you can't you can't separate the two anymore. Internet and and schooling are so intertwined uh, today. So yeah, that's probably a good thing. Uh, one of the chapters might say so. Yeah, the fact that uh, you know why are we why shouldn't we be giving open internet tests? Not open book tests, but open, open internet internet tests. Because if you get if you got someone working for you, you expect them to use whatever resources that are are at their command to do whatever the job is. Hmm. Right. I mean, so yeah. why, why aren't, why aren't kids doing this? Now I'm not saying that there there's, isn't a need to memorize stuff because there is. And the rationale for that is like, okay, you got a problem to solve. What resources are at your disposal? Well, basically two things. It's what you've got in long-term memory mm-hmm. and what's sitting in front of you in the environment short-term memory, sure. which sure. that's what you got. So the more you've got in the long-term memory that you can draw on, the better problem solving you're likely going to do. So you do want to like ingest certain things Absolutely. that you know, set up a framework that you can hang stuff on and, uh, you know, try to figure out what, what are the key things. Right. But it was, it was, I think it was Einstein has the quote of why memorize something you can look up. Well, so that you don't have to look it up. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> so you don't have to spend the time doing that yeah but yeah, I, yeah. I understand the premise though is that you know you, you've got people uh needing to go out into the workforce and you know if you if the argument is that the education that they receive should prepare them to be active and contributing members of society shouldn't the education reflect what's going to happen once they get into their career and there's there's certainly certainly validity to uh to that argument yeah, right. I mean, ideally, people see the have the vision of being lifelong learners, you know, and just incrementally adding to their what they what they know, like you know, long term memory kind of stuff, and uh, that so that they can use that as they approach new and unique problems. Yeah. All right. So let's let's um, transition now into. Uh, once you uh, you said you retired and you cared for your wife for a few years, and then uh, was it 2009? You said you started your blog, right? And uh, as I was saying earlier, the uh, when I was doing my doctoral work, I, we were reading a lot of books, and I wasn't liking what I was remembering when we come to class. So I instead of reading them, I started summarizing them. And I I had one of the first laptops in 1992, and my classmates hated me for it, but. Uh, <laughs> I'd go to class with my lap summary on my laptop and we talk about something and I do a find and yep, there it is. And oh, by the way, on page 51, blah, 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 blah. And uh, <laughs> it, then I, I summarized the book that all the administrators were supposed to read one summer and shared it with my colleagues. And they all thought it was great. And so I said, okay. Uh, because, at, you know, two days after you read a book, you remember three things and three days after you read a book, you remember two things. Sure. These book summaries have done that. <laughs> your these book summaries can help you uh, review and internalize key concepts, and be- better. You know, also, th- I think they can help you with uh, purchasing decisions because if you read one of my summaries, you're going to know whether you want to buy the book or not. Yeah, 
That's fair. And we were talking before uh, we hit record that you said you have a, over 190 now. I, I counted like, them up just before we started. 191. 191 book yeah, summaries. I'm and I'm working on 192 right now. And they're they're all uh, within the field of education, right? No. No. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, they are all books that I believe educators can learn from. Okay. Good distinction. Many of, many of which are not education books per se. Like anything that Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell's books, for example. Right. Yeah, leadership. Daniel Pink's books are all there, for example. I just finished one called The Biggest Bluff, which is by this uh, PhD psychologist, journalist, who decided, knowing nothing about poker, she'd see if she could learn enough poker to, 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 to win the World Series of Poker after a year. And she... She she won the an American tournament and has made made over three hundred thousand dollars playing poker, but there are so many things that generalize to life from what she learned along the way that that book is worth reading for educators or anybody. Uh, yeah. if, you know, uh, my, my two favorite education authors would be like Yang Zhao and and Pausti Salberg. Yang was born and raised in China, and uh, he, said, he, he points out ironically that, that China is trying to do, uh, get, you know, get rid of some of the standardized testing stuff, and we're just going in the other direction. <laughs> and Pasty Salberg's from Finland. His, his book is called Finnish Lessons, and he tries to explain, you know, why does Finland score so high on these international tests all the time? And you know, a lot of people say, well, oh, they're just a bunch of like, you know, smart white guys in the in the in the frozen north. They're not, you know, they're not diverse. They don't have school. You know, they don't have a lot of issues we have. But there's a lot of things the Finns are doing that we can learn from because there are, are cultures with their same demographic that aren't doing as well as they are. Uh, the big thing is that if you, in order to be a teacher in Finland, you have to have a research-based master's right. and a full year of internship. Right. right. Yes. What do we What do we require? Ten weeks of student teaching. Uh, if, most, most of that time, you're not teaching; you're just watching the other teacher. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and you know, they they school doesn't start seriously in Finland until kids are seven, whereas like we're jamming, you know, reading and math. Kindergarten is the new first grade. You probably heard that, but yeah, in a lot of ways nowadays it, pff, it isn't kindergarten. There's no play. There's no naps. It's all, you know, academics. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, and I know that you, you argue in your book that there's a lot of uh, a cognitive uh, things that really those, those students shouldn't be doing. So they're not, they're not developmentally ready for it. Yeah. So you, let's, you, let's you, transition then into, into you your book. Make, I'm sorry. You're just making them hate school sooner. I mean, unfortunately, in some cases, I'm sure that's absolutely right. So, um, yeah, so let's transition then to your book here before we, before we wrap up. Um, your book, uh, which I, I think I believe I already said, but if I didn't, is titled uh, Teaching Isn't Rocket Science. It's Much More Complex. And as a teacher, I just love that title. <laughs> that's true. We got rockets figured out. It's, yeah, send no, them to the other side the, of the... We yeah. don't have to get the brain figured out, do we? No. Got a long way to go. A lot of validity to that. So why don't you tell us then um, kind of why, why write this book? I mean, you're retired. You could just uh, ride it out to the sunset. Why, why spend the effort into writing a book? And, and yeah, I'm a, I think I'm an addicted nerd, you know. <laughs> you and me both. You know, explain, explain it. Well, um, I started writing a, a series of articles, many of which were posted by 
a late lady named Star Saxstein, uh, an Ed Week teacher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made a list of them and I had a couple on some other blogs. They, 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 Education Week wouldn't post my article where I was criticizing Bill Gates because, he, you know, he gives him so much money. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I took a look at that list of articles and said, hey, man, this looks like a book. So I took those articles and, and reworked them and then added articles that, uh, you know, to, to kind of fill it out. <laughs> One of which uh, is, is probably the article, the, the chapter that most people go straight to. It's called, uh, let me see, chapter 19, right? Uh, why parents should talk to their kids about internet porn. I couldn't have, I couldn't have published this book. I mean, I could, if I were still working, I, could have written, I couldn't have written that chapter. Because when I write that chapter, I had to do some research. I mean, I had to know what this thing was because that's where kids are getting their sex ed nowadays. You know, for yeah. I don't know about you. In my day, it was the Playboy magazine and the kid next door who got the word from his older siblings. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't the school. That was it. And you know, sooner or later, I finally figured it out. But man, it was it was a painful. <laughs> nowadays, there's no question. You know. Uh, just about every boy watches it, and you know about half the girls do, as far as the research is concerned. But it's it's really hard to get good good numbers for that sort of thing, as you can well imagine. Uh, but anyway, so I had this stack of articles, and uh, I I just kept on beefing them up. I, uh, the most controversial one I ever wrote was uh, about gifted education. My premise was, well, if these gifted ed gifted ed lessons are so darn good, why can't all the kids get them? Because what was happening, the, the gifted kids would get somehow selected, right? Right, yeah. yeah or, or like the, the parent would beat on the principal to make sure their kid. Yep, yep. And then they go off with the gifted teacher into another room somewhere. And they'd get these open-ended lessons that were hands-on and were just really cool. Yeah. And what we did in my school is I said, okay, gifted teacher, you're going to go into the classroom and you're going to give that lesson to everybody. And that teacher is going to stand there and help you do that lesson. And next year, that teacher is going to do that lesson. And you're going to come in with a new one that you or some of your gifted pals just dreamt up. There you go. But, yeah. boy, I tell you, I, you know, parents and gifted ed teachers, last thing they want to do is teach everybody. They, they just want the cream of the crap, right? <laughs> These smart kids who behave themselves. Uh, and, and, and so – and the, the gifted, oh, my kid's gifted. I don't want, you know, I, I want special gifted stuff for my, oh, come on, please. You know, so the, there were two kinds of people coming at me for writing that article. Then on the opposite end, I, why should education, why should special education be special, right? And here's where, you know, we can learn from Finland. What do they do in Finland? Well, if they spot that a kid's got some kind of special need, what do they do? They address it right away. What do we do here? We wait until they fall far behind and run them through this bureaucratic process and then stamp a label on them Hmm. and then give them some service, right? Right. Uh, A parent came into my office one day and said, who called my kid a retard? And I said, well, I think that was the school psychologist because that's the person who assigns the the classifications. Mm -hmm. At the time, time, this is the mid-90s, at the time, mentally retarded was a classification. Yeah. Here's your tag, kid. You know, should, why should we label these kids? Figure this in Finland. Half the kids in Finland get some kind of special education service by the time they graduate from high school. Some mm-hmm. get more, some get less, but half of them get some. Now, that doesn't happen here. 
And no. the state, the state will get on you for, for classifying too many kids. You're giving too many kids special education and too many yeah. black kids special education. Now, wait a minute. I, I, I had this fight with my black parents. Like, look, we want to give your child more help. Why, you know, we, we're not going to take your kid and put him in a room with other kids who can't behave. We'll keep him in a regular class, but we just want to give him more help. What's wrong with that? Right. And I mean, there's, there's, there's obviously data to, maybe not obviously to everyone, but there's data that shows that, you know, African-American and uh, Latino students are put into special education more often than their white counterparts. Yeah, well, that's because they're, they're more likely to be poor. And with, and with poverty comes a whole host of things that aren't going to, you know, like tend to make you an all-star student. Sure. You know, your parents will talk, talk to you more. They're asking more questions. They'll take you places. They'll take you to museums. They'll take you on trips. You'll get exposed to a whole bunch of things that if, if you're not poor, then the poor kids. Right. So it's got, I don't, race is a social construct. You know, it's, we're all the same. And, and so it's really a, a question of poverty as opposed to, you know, race. Yeah. And accessibility, which is certainly a, yeah, I mean, a, a term being thrown right. around a lot more. Poor parents tend to be more authoritative, right? And they don't engage the children in as much conversation. They don't mm-hmm. ask them questions. They don't, they don't, probably don't read to them as much. They don't have books sitting around the house. Sure. Would be they, their experience in school wasn't that great either. You know, the, yeah. what we should do is like send parent educators into the home the day the kid's born. Say, okay, mm-hmm. you know, here's here's some books. Here's here's what you do. Here, you know, engagement. Yeah. Don't you know? Talk. To, you know what? Instead of just saying, you know, shut up and do what I say, have a conversation with the kid. And then if you get to the point where, okay, uh, we both have an equal say in the conversation, but I break the ties. You know. If, yeah. <laughs> Gotta get to that point. Oh, I like I like that phrasing. <laughs> Wait, that's what you do with your wife too. <laughs> oh, except I lose those ties. <laughs> you know that. Yeah, yeah, right. But if you lose the tie, that means you didn't. You, you couldn't persuade her, right? <laughs> and you do what she says, and then if it doesn't work out, well, I say, hey, it's what you said. You know, you're taking the high road. <laughs> Uh, I love it. What what I what I really appreciate about your book, though, and part of the reason why I asked you to come on is that all of your title or all of your chapters, you you cite uh, your sources and you cite the data and you cite the the research that is that you're talking about within those books, right? I mean, that's that's pretty standard if you're going to do any kind of halfway scholarly book. But you know, all the searching I do on the internet every day, that's where I find this stuff. You know, it's it's, it's really information are sitting ducks. It's just so easy to find. I mean, the, the trick is to vet the resources. Right. And that is definitely uh, one of the toughest parts about uh, sifting through the internet is, is this a, a reliable source? So um, <clears throat> yeah, a really, really, uh, I can't wait to get my hands on it actually, because like you said there, you have uh, 30 or 40 chapters where each one is kind of its own little micro microcosm yeah. of something that is, uh, that can be done better within the education world. Right? Yeah, the, and, the subtitle of the book is uh, "What's Wrong with Education and How How to Fix Some of It." <laughs> Which, yeah, when I read that, I'm like, you know what? That that's truth right there. You're not going to fix everything in in I one don't book. Have all so, the answers, and how to fix some of it. So here, here's some here's some ideas that I think might work. I mean, if we had to create education all over again, I don't think we'd do what we did. Basically, we we harvest kids like a crop. Every year we go out. And we take kids in New York State, there's a span of 17 months. 
for every kindergarten cohort, right? Okay. You take you take a look at at the top players in soccer and hockey, and the, most of them are are born in the first three years of the harvesting cohort. The kids aren't better; they're just older. They appear better, and they get more attention and better coaching. <laughs> huh? Yeah, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that, and you, and you wouldn't make everybody learn the same thing at the same time in the same way. Right. No. Because, like, for some kids, they're going to be bored, like I was, a lot, you know, a lot of times in school, and some kids are going to be frustrated, and they'll sure. they'll, they'll start misbehaving, ah. and then they'll get suspended, and then they're on there. You know, it's called it's... a school prison pipeline, right? You know. Yeah, and I, my mom has made multiple debuts on this podcast uh, up to this point, but she's kind of said the same thing: like, colleges work by semester. Why can't uh, public school work by semester? And if yeah. you need to repeat a class, like coming through, if you know, halfway through fourth grade, you say, okay, you need to take that semester again. You know, at least it doesn't set you back a year. It's like shoots and ladders though. You know, like where <laughs> you get it oh, yeah. the top, there's this big shoot. Uh, you know, why is it you tell a kid, okay, you got to repeat first grade or you got to repeat a subject. Can't you just say, Hey, you haven't finished yet. I mean, not yet. You're, yeah. you're currently here. So you keep going from here until you get to there. Right. Yeah. I forget. Is that you stay in the algebra room room until you get to there. And then the geometry rooms down the hall, go start that next. Yeah. Let's, and I think that's, uh, that's part of, um, uh, I think I read it on your site about the, the flipped classroom. Yeah. Um, the notion that, yeah, start, here's, here's the videos and learn them until you get them and then move on when you need to move on. But that, that concept of not yet, uh, came out of, uh, Carol Dweck's book, yeah. research about mindset, right? Right. Yeah, so I, I, don't I, mean, know the first, I don't know if she was first, but she was one of the proponents. It, it's, it's just that uh, let kids finish stuff and yeah. then on they go. Yeah. Uh, yeah the semesters that are artificial construct, too. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it, it's like any body of knowledge can be artificially crammed into the semester. You know, oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very just like uh, underwater basket weaving it. <laughs> <laughs> whatever university anything, had that one. Is, <laughs> okay, I, I what I also taught leadership, you know, for for teachers who wanted to get their administrative certificates, and I taught in the doctoral program at Binghamton University, and they they kept on inventing courses. Okay, here's a course on data analysis. How long is it going to last? Well, it's going to last a semester. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and this is back when people thought that you could analyze the results of these awful, uh, you know, federally mandated standardized tests and, and actually find something. Right. right. But what they didn't realize, if you can a- analyze crappy data all you want, and you're going to end up with crap. You can't, you know, it's, you can't make a silk <laughs> out of a sow's ear. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't inform instruction. They don't get the scores back till next summer. That's the word. Yeah. Have no, the teachers can't even see the tests. How crazy is that? Yeah. They're not, yeah. Any test that is not guiding instruction is not worth uh, right. giving. So, well, and then the, um, big, the best tests are the tests you give yourself because if you want to uh, reinforce knowledge, you want to engage in recall. Mm-hmm. Right. So, self testing. Right. And, and the other, like back to flipping, you, you fail the unit test. Well, fine. Let's see what you missed. Take it again. Right. Take it until you pass it and then go on to until the next one. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, yes. Uh, a couple of your comments about your book here on Amazon that I pulled off the top three that I saw were it offers a common sense and student focused philosophy. 
Dr. Green successfully debunks using business models to educate students, which we didn't get into, um, but that would be a conversation for future discussion. But, uh, and the last one is, uh, thanks for this quick and readable book, highlighting many current challenges our public schools face with common sense and useful resources for readers who want more. So um, definitely a lot of praise about this book. Uh, like I said, I'm excited to get my hands on it and uh, um, yeah, just well, looking forward to reading about it. There's lots we can learn from business, but you don't want to run school like a business because n- number one, you, you can't pick your raw materials, whereas businesses can. Sure. You know, I mean, you, you yeah, kids just coming to school. The parents don't keep the bad kids at home. They send you, <laughs> they send you the best ones they got. Yeah. And teachers are responsible for all of them. Yeah. And absolutely. There, there's no such thing as a bad kid. They're all God's children. Yes. I, 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 I subscribe to that as well. So um, yeah, Dr. Green, this has been great. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up and head over to our exit ticket questions? Uh, no, let's, let's go. Let's do it. All right. Um, well, with that then, our first question is, do you have a book recommendation for teachers to check out? You know, uh, if I had to pick one, I'd pick Finish Lessons by Passy Salberg. You know, okay. it's, it, you can find it on my uh, summary on my blog. Just because I, I think we can, we can learn some things from there. I mean, uh, if I had to pick one. Yeah. Okay. What, just a 30-second synopsis. What is that book about? Well, back in 1995, Finland Lake, they overhauled their whole education system. And they, they, they made it so that uh, their, their teacher education system was top-notch. You got, you got to be like in, in the upper upper echelon of your class to get into education school in Finland, whereas I think they're pretty much open admission here. And like I said, you get you have to get a research-based master and spend a full-year internship before they even turn you loose. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, there's a lot of, you know, interdisciplinary stuff, projects, hands-on, lots of things we could do. And uh, Definitely a lot we can learn from. And, and then again, using your special ed people to help everybody that needs help and not turning it into a big bureaucracy that wastes a lot of money and, and sure. tags kids. Yeah. All right. And like you said, uh, we'll, we'll link to uh, the um, executive summary that you have on your blog as well for that one. So people can go check that out. Uh, question two is, do you have any uh, resource, either online or hard copy, that teachers should go check out? Uh, well, I, I post eight eight every day on my blog. There so you go. <laughs> DrDougGreen.com. Uh, you know, there's a little nutshell at the top that tells you what, what today's all about. So just look at it every day. It'd take, take a couple of minutes. Uh, back when I was principal, uh, after people started chewing on, stopped chewing on my backside around 4, 4.30 in the afternoon, <laughs> I would start to engage in my own self-development. You know, read something, search the internet when that became available. And, you know, just try to carve out a little time of the day to do your own, you know, personalized, uh, per, you know, professional development. The worst, that's, that's a problem with professional development is it's often it's run like bad education classes where if one size fits all, everybody's in the same room, the same thing at the same time. Yep. Teachers should be responsible for their own professional development. They, they should tell the principal, okay, here's what I'm going to be working on this year. Then the year, here's what I did. Here's how I did. And the principal can try to help you. Oh, get you some resources. Oh, you know, maybe, you know, a few bucks for something. But professional development needs to be personalized too. And it would be easier to do that than it would be to uh, 
personalize a, a room full of 30 kids. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily the district I'm in has uh, what we call flex days that we have two, two a year that we need to uh, cover by going out and uh, earning hours towards the professional development. So um, our, my, at least I'm lucky enough to have a district that is moving in that direction. So um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, question number three, uh, what's one piece of advice that you would like to give teachers, maybe particularly teachers who are just starting out their careers? Yeah. Focus on relationships with, with you know, kids, your peers. Uh, that's what it's about. It is. And, you know, go, go, hang out in the cafeteria with them. You know, I know you're, you know, that's not part of the job, but go eat with them. Go visit the playground, go to whatever extracurricular activities that there are going down. You know, you're going to be young. The kids might even think you're relatively cool. <laughs> you know, talk, you might have some common interests like in music or sports or something, you know, or, you know, but just work on those relationships and, you know, you got to make sure you don't dislike, you know, we're not paying you to dislike kids. You got to like them all. And, right. you know, some of them are going to be a little harder than others, but then those are the ones you got to work on the hardest. Mm. I love that quote. Yeah. They're all God's children, man. Yeah. Love it. All right. Uh, and then if anybody wants to reach out to you, where would be the best place to send them? Well, I mean, uh, email would be dgreen at stny.r.com. I think that's email you use. Yep. On Twitter, I'm uh, Dr. Doug Green, D-R-D-O-U-G-G-R-E-E-N. My blog is drdougreen.com. Uh, I've got over 5,600 followers on Twitter. And yeah, that's, that's where that, we linked up. So that puts me in the top one percentile in terms of Twitter followers. There you go. I didn't realize and, that. And it's over 70 countries. Wow. How cool is that? That is so cool. You know I have what? I have one listener uh, in France for this podcast that I have yet to beat. I hope they reach out to me. And I, there's people following me in Syria, you know, and yeah. you name it. Uh, Amazing. The world is so small today. Yeah. And, you know, people think Twitter, oh, you know, they think about you know, the president's tweets or Britney Spears or Lady Gaga, or, you know, <laughs> or celebrity tweets, right? Mm -hmm. But, there, you know, there's a big, there's a big swath up in Twitter that is, you know, represents professionals with common interests yes there is whether you whether yeah. you shoe horses or, or teach chemistry <laughs> you know they're, they're your friends are out there on twitter and, and they are. you just got to go find them what's really cool is every now and then i meet one of my tweeple you know <laughs> your tweeple <laughs> at a conference or something ah! okay, I you. you're Doug green <laughs> Uh, that's so much fun. Well, yeah, Dr. Doug Green, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This is such a great conversation. Yeah. And it, keep, keep up the good work. I, I'm thrilled that there's people like you out there doing this kind of stuff. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I have no plans on stopping anytime soon. Never. Never. And I'm, I'm 73. You know, I'm still. There, still there's stopping. no stopping. No, no <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for the time and uh, take care. Been a pleasure. And there you go. Um, yeah, man, I really loved uh, chatting with Dr. Green today. Um, he had a number of quotes that uh, were just great. Uh, a couple of his comments were great, you know. Um, and he just, he has certainly spent the last few years uh, really diving into the depths of the internet to curate the content for teachers. Um, so make sure you make your way over to his blog and check out uh, his posts as well as uh, those book reviews. Um, the one thing that 
really stuck with me about uh, this episode was uh, going back to you know uh, what I used in the intro and uh, what I've said a number of times and uh, what you will probably hear a lot more of in this podcast is just this concept uh, or this idea that if you create relationships with your students, you know if you if you take the time to know their interests, to know their hobbies, to know uh, their home life, to know their siblings, you know, uh, etc. Um, if you take the time to know them, the learning will will follow, right? The learning will happen. Um, the energy that uh, you need to put into behavior management, um, as that as that energy and as that uh, amount of time decreases, the amount of energy that you and your students put into learning will increase, right? It's it's reciprocal. So at the end of the year, you will have um, you will have had a better experience. Uh, your students will have learned more, and you will have created those crucial relationships that uh, students will remember for um, their whole lives. So. Yeah, like Dr. Green said, school is so much more than just the academic learning. So make sure we focus on uh, some of that other stuff that is super important as well. Um, if you had a different takeaway uh, than what I said and you wanted to share it, you think it's beneficial for other teachers to hear, uh, please go join our Facebook group and just leave a comment about what you gained from this episode in the post that will be uh, for this episode right there on our Facebook group. Um, that group again is at, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo, or there's a link for it on our show notes page. You can find that at jabadoo.com slash show 18. Uh, and you can also find, um, the sign up for our newsletter and you are uh, able to support this podcast by purchasing one of those items using the Amazon affiliate link. So, um, go check all that out. That is all from me. I hope you have an excellent week and you go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.